0: Good morning, everyone. You might be wondering why I'm uh, I'm joining you like this. I'll explain that right now. Today, uh, that is September uh, 2020, marks my 34th year pastoring. And if I were to be asked uh, to write down some unusual distinction about me and my ministry, uh, you know, in some kind of a venue, I might say my answer might be by the grace of God, I have never missed a Sunday because of sickness. can you believe that? 34 years I've never missed a Sunday uh, because of sickness. now I'll let you decide whether on t- today I break that streak or not okay It is Sunday it is in the morning I'm doing this in the wee hours of the morning but uh, actually the last several days uh, I've been I felt ill uh, I just kind of chalked it up to allergies, common cold, maybe a little flu mixed in there and that may very well be what it is. Uh, but I thought I'd get checked here the other day for COVID. Well, the problem is on the weekends uh, I couldn't find anything that would give me a rapid result. So, in the spirit of love for you and the desire to do what is right, uh, uh, I'm here coming to you in this in this way. But with that said, I'd like you to open your Bibles, if you would, and find First Thessalonians chapter one, as we continue in our series, living in the light of His return. Uh, just the other day, a friend of mine who put a vintage truck together, a beautiful piece of work, uh, put that up on display and actually up for sale. And uh, now he expected so much, but he was blown away by the bids that were coming in. They kept going up and up and up and up. And he sold, he ended up selling that truck for multiple thousands of dollars, more than he anticipated. So what happened? I mean, he was completely overwhelmed. Why did it go for so much more? Well, I, I can give you three reasons. One, because it was rare. Uh, two, these type of things that he was doing were not, are not easily reproduced. And after all, it was beautiful. Very, very attractive. I would say to you this morning as we get going in, in this text, I love this passage of Scripture that we're in today. In eternity, God is going to put his perfected children on display for all the angels and everyone in eternity, for all time to, to admire and glory in Him. I know that because Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 7 says that because as a result of our salvation, He has seated us in heavenly places so that in the ages to come, that's in the future, that's in, in, uh, in heaven, He will show forth the immeasurable grace of His toward humanity that He saves the word show means to put on display. So God plans to put his children that he saves who go to heaven on display as a magnificent uh, presentation of his glory. So, but here's the point I wanna give to you today. God doesn't wanna wait until then to put you on display. He wants to do that now while you're still here on earth if you are a true child of God. Because until the day Jesus returns, in this life, this world, and during this time, God is displaying his spirit-changed, spirit-led, and spirit-empowered children in order to show the riches of his grace and salvation and to expand the gospel. That's how he expands the gospel. It's not as you'll see today, not just in word only, but there's there's something divine, there's something powerful about it. Remember Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Now sadly, that kind of Christ follower whose light so shines before men, they see the good works, they glorify God, is rare, not easily reproduced, but when they are, they are stunningly beautiful and attractive. I was thinking about this and I thought, when we live in the light of his return, we walk in the light of his countenance. The psalmist said that. He said, blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance, in the light of your presence. Our world is dark. It always has been. But if everything around us were shiny, then we wouldn't look very shiny. So here's a question as we get going this morning. How is your light shining right now? How is it shining? Jesus is coming again for those who really know Him, and He's going to take us to heaven. If you are a true follower of Jesus, are you going to be bringing anybody with you? I love those, and, and, and literally, there are people in our church that are coming to my mind as I say this. I love those who just to see them, the sight of them, or the very thought of them, just bring joy to my heart. Uh, just, just the very, it conjures up praise to God because they so, they so effervesce for the Lord. And then there are those when they come to your mind, and maybe you're one of them, you, some of you are surely thinking of others who, they don't conjure up praise to God, rather they sort of conjure up, you know, heaviness. You still love them, you just don't talk about them that much. Our two youngest sons, uh, it's well known that there are a period of about four years where they were just completely off the beaten path. And people would say to me, "How, how can we pray for John and Daniel? And I would always say, pray that they will be converted, whatever converted means. And it's not because I was confused about what conversion looks like, but it was just hard to tell whether they were saved or not. As it turned out, it was a perfect prayer request because one needed to be converted in salvation, the other needed to be converted And by way of being turned back to God. Either way, they both needed to be converted. I think the greatest insult a person who claims to be a follower of Jesus can have, I mean, the greatest insult that could be levied towards you would be for somebody to doubt, to out loud doubt your salvation. Are you really saved? I mean, are they really? I know they prayed a prayer. I know they went to church, but are they really saved? To wonder out loud whether you're saved that, that may be the greatest insult of all. That was never the case with the Thessalonians. Never the case. And we're going to pick it up where we left off as we began this series last week. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 4, where here's what we read. For we know, Paul goes on in his gratitude message, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. What a statement. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word with much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. That takes us down to verse 7, and that's where we're going to leave it off. Will you notice that Paul says, we know, I mean, this is an amazing statement. We know, brothers, that God has chosen you. The word know, K-N-O-W there, uh, this particular word conveys the idea of, of, of having of absolute certainty. God has chosen you. This is what Paul is saying. Now this word know, it's the same one that's used in the more familiar verse in 1 John 5, 13, where it says, it says these things we have uh, written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know you have eternal life. And we tell others who place their faith in Jesus that you can know, K N O W, that you're saved. You can know that. Uh, but here, this is, the, this is in this more mm, obscure verse, shall we say, Paul is saying that he knows these Thessalonians are saved. And indeed, he says, I know God chose you, which we know that takes place before the foundation of the earth. At the end of verse 5, if you'll notice, at the very end of verse 5, Paul says the reason he was so secure in his knowledge that they were saved is because he'd hung out with them. You see, the, see the phrase, I, I was among you. Uh, just the other day, I was talking with, uh, with an individual who was uh, a deacon in a church. He had called me, little, t- little tiny country church, they're looking for a pastor, and uh, they had a guy, he looked like he was, but well, he had all the capabilities of being a man, a pastor, a good communicator, and he goes, we're kind of scratching our heads though. I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, because uh, you know, we, we, we wanted to take him around to the town that we're in and the, and the town which is very close nearby. And maybe he and his wife could find a place to live. He said, the, the pastor-to-be said, no, 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 we're going to live, and he named a city 30 miles away. And the deacon said, well, what do you think of that? And I said, well, stick a fork in him. <laughs> he doesn't want to be among you. He doesn't want to be with you. He doesn't want to be... Uh, you know, um, among God's people. And if you, a pastor's not worth his salt if he's not going to be amongst the people of God. The Apostle Paul is saying, I was among you. In truth, these verses that we just read are sort of an extension of Paul's thanksgiving to God for the Thessalonians. In fact, this is the only time in the entire New Testament where an entire church is called a model. Actually, the word is example here. Uh, but some translations use the word model. It's the only time any church, the entire church, is called a model. And he says not just a model, but a model for the entire Macedonian and Achaean Peninsula, which is known today, you know, better known as Greece today. So what we're going to do for the balance of our time this morning is we're going to use the stellar testimony of these Thessalonians to answer this question. How can you know if you are really saved? That's the question we're going to answer from this passage. How can you know whether or not you are really saved? Let's get right at it. I want to give you three ways you can know from the passage, okay? First, by the gospel's miraculous impact on you. Or you might ask the question, has it made a miraculous impact? Did you, did you see that here? In verse five, he said, it, the, our gospel didn't come to you in word only. In other words, we didn't just come to you with arguments, uh, with a great apologetic, but he says, but rather he says with power. Do you see that there? We, it came with power, middle of verse um, 5 there. And may, this is the word, we get our English word dynamite from this word. Dunamis is the Greek word. And it literally carries the idea of miraculous power. I remember years ago a missionary from India coming through our church and we were going back and forth. And uh, one of our other pastors said, what's the difference between uh, you know what's going on evangelistically, uh, from a missional perspective in India versus the United States. And this particular missionary who was passionate about the gospel said this. He He said, you have money, but you don't have power. I remember how convicted I was just hearing that. You have money, but you don't have power. In other words, he wasn't seeing a lot of evidence of true conversion going on amongst those making decisions. Now we're seeing a lot of evidence here at Sailorville Church, but I never assume that. I'm not assuming it with you either. Uh, the word power here is, it carries the idea of spiritual, divine, miraculous power. Psalm 62 verse 11 says, power belongs to God. Now power, the kind of power we're talking about here was promised by Jesus before he ascended into heaven Uh, Before the church began in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he said, he says, look, I'm going to leave, but you're going to receive power, same word, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you're going to be witnesses for me, to me, of me, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And we know from the record that once the Spirit of God came to live within those first century disciples, they had power and plenty of it. The Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, you know, I want to remind you, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellency of speech or of, or of, uh, of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of Christ. I, wanted, I didn't want anything to be known except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And then Paul goes on and goes, I was actually with you in weakness, and I was with you in fear, I was with you in much trembling. That, that doesn't sound very impressive to me. But then he, he explains to himself, he says, he says I didn't want your faith to be in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. Because when God saves, he does so with his power. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel at Romans 1:16, for it is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. And in 1 Corinthians, again back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, it says the message of the cross where there is power is foolishness to those who don't believe. And to some of you right now, it's still foolishness to you. But to those of us who are being saved, Paul goes on, he says it's the power, there it is, the dunamis, the dynamite of God. Well, I would also add this, you don't learn power. You can study it, I guess, but you don't really learn power, you experience power. And some people think that the power referred to here that Paul's talking about is, is really a reference to his miracle ministry. Maybe he was you know, laying hands on people and people were getting healed, and that's possible. But there's no, actually no record. There's no record that that, that that was happening in Thessalonica. I'm not denying that it did. In fact, if anything, he doesn't doesn't emphasize that at all because later on in chapter 2, verse 13, he says, we thank God constantly for you because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which is at work in you who believe. So the idea here is that the power comes from God and the vehicle is, of course, the word of God. The miraculous power that Paul's talking about here is uh, manifests itself in a, in a miraculous change. If anyone's in Christ, they're a, what? New creation. All old things, they're passed away. All things have become new. So how do I know if that's manifesting itself? So it means this. When I come to know Christ, do I leave the life of drugs? Do I stop my pornography addiction? Do I, do I leave all forms of sexual perversion? But not just negative, there are positive elements. Do I start to love God, love God's people, love my family, love my spouse, love my kids? And do I give to God? Do I serve God Out of uh, just out of his compelling love for me? And Paul said, the love of Christ compels me. You can ask yourself that question. Am I being compelled by the love of Jesus in my life? These are the evidences of gospel miraculous impact in your life. So ask yourself this question. Am I really saved? Where is the evidence of God's saving power in my life? That's that's a legitimate question I think all of us should be able to ask. Where is the evidence of God's saving power in my life? It certainly was evidential in the Thessalonians. Here's a second way you can know whether you're really saved. By the Spirit's deep impact in your life. Now, I want you to notice again, back to verse five, because this is a key verse. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. The Holy Spirit and full conviction. that phrase full conviction means to be filled with confidence, filled with assurance. It's the exact same word that's used in Hebrews when it says, let us draw near to God with full conviction or full assurance. In other words, there's no question whatsoever that what you've believed, what you've bought into is the real thing. There's no doubts in your mind that this is true. Have you ever sold something I'm asking this because this comes to my own mind in my, my own life that I have. Have you ever sold something that you weren't convinced of? I can think of a few cars in my life that I sold. I, 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 didn't, I didn't cheat anybody or lie. I just, eh, they were kind of marginal. My friend who sold his vintage truck, uh, while surprised at the great interest in his truck, he, was never, he never doubted its, its value. He built the truck? He was completely assured that this was the real deal. And obviously, others did too. Now here's something I want you to jot down. I I didn't say this. A guy by the name of Denny said this. He said, God cannot work through a man in whose soul there are misgivings about the truth. I'm going to give that to you again. God cannot work through a man in whose soul There are misgivings about the truth. Now, I don't think that's a categorically true statement, but I think it's a generally true statement. I'll give it one more time. God cannot work through a man in whose soul there are misgivings about the truth. You're not really sure of it. I mean, God used Jonah. Jonah certainly had a lot of misgivings, but he preached in an entire city, an entire nation from the king down got saved. His heart wasn't in it. But here's my point. I want you to think about this as well. If God chose to use people like Jonah who were not convinced, who had misgivings, how much more those of us who are convinced of this truth, who approach life and others with confidence, assurance that what we believe is true, Are you convinced? Are you convinced that what you have believed is true? Absolutely assured of it. Would you stake your life on it? You know, we are living in the last days. The Bible makes that clear. Everything that's happening around us conveys the idea that, you know, we really are living in the last days. Jesus is coming again. But in order for that to happen, there's a lot of cosmic activity that's gonna be occurring, satanic activity, And the book of Revelation, chapter 12 and verse 11, says that that God's people are going to overcome Satan and his satanic activities with the Antichrist, the beast, and all these things that are mentioned there. They're going to overcome him in three different ways. By the blood of the Lamb, that's Jesus, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. In other words, the point being this, they are so sure, so confident what they believe, they're willing, to, they're willing to be beheaded, they're willing to be killed, they're willing to have their lives taken away from them because they have a greater life to come. Do you, do you live like that? Do you believe that? Do you have that kind of assurance? Is the Spirit of God's deep impact that evident in your own life? Jesus is coming again, and before he does, I think there's going to be a big shakedown. How confident are you when that time comes? The Holy Spirit's deep impact was evidenced in these Thessalonians, and it can be in you as well, because Paul said to Timothy, he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. That's 2 Timothy 1 and verse uh, 7. So again, are you saved? How can we know if you're saved? Ask yourself, is the gospel's miraculous power at work in your life? Is the Holy Spirit's deep, uh, is he, has He deeply impacted you to the place where you are absolutely convinced of the truth of God? And thirdly and finally, by the expansive, and by expansive I mean just that, expansive impact from you. Now, we're going to hear more of this next week when we take up the latter part of chapter 1. But the question is, where's the evidence that God is at work in your life impacting other people? Paul says here in verses 6 and 7, he said, you became imitators, and then he says, and you became examples. So, imitators and models. Imitators of Paul and models to all. Models to all who were in Macedonia and Achaia. So if imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, as someone has said, the Thessalonians had outdone themselves. The word imitators here, which is a, in verse 6, you became imitators of us. Uh, that's, the, that's the Greek word mimite. We get a word mimic from this word. Kids mimic their parents. You're a model whether you like it or not. You're an example whether you like it or not. Somebody's imitating you more than likely. What do they look like as a result? Paul said to the Corinthians, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. I read a quote here recently that went like this You were born an original, don't die a copy. I thought that was pretty clever. You were born an original, don't die a copy. But actually, Christianity needs more copies, not fewer, of those who follow Jesus. Uh, There was a missionary years ago in the New Hebron Islands who who showed up, was evangelizing the natives there, and in the course of so doing, he started to portray the life of Jesus before them. And as he did, one of the old, one of the very old uh, natives said, well, he's been here, and so the missionary realize, well, I'm probably not communicating very well. No, no, this Jesus lived like 2,000 years ago. And they kept insisting, no, 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 he, he, he lived here right on this island. Well, later on, that missionary was discovered that a generation earlier, another missionary had been there. And his life was so impeccable, was so Christ-like, that the natives thought it was Jesus that the new missionary was talking about. Wow, what a compliment. What a compliment indeed. So they go from mimics to models. And verse seven says this, he says, he says, so that you became an example to all the believers. The word example is where we get our word type to type something, a typeset. Uh, the idea is that you're, you're making an impression. In fact, that's where we get this, that whole line. You, you made an impression on me. That's the idea in this word example. Uh, one of the pastors and I went out east to a church planting conference about a month ago. And we were with a bunch of other pastors, both actually and virtually. And as it turned out, we were the only ones representing a network of churches that have actually planted several churches. And so very naturally, very instinctively, everybody was looking to me and one of the other pastors on staff, because we obviously had all the answers to church planting. Well, we don't have all the answers to church planting. But they were looking at us as a model. They saw something in us, that we weren't just being theoretical. We weren't just dreaming of planting churches. We weren't just writing things down, but we actually, by the grace of God, and by his goodness to us, has allowed us to plant five churches in the greater Engage network. But people are looking for models. Again, just the other day, this was evidence. As our evangelism uh, director and another guy in our church were sitting down, having lunch with a guy, and they were they, uh, our evangelism director has been working with this guy for some time. He's quite a skeptic, but he's he's starting to turn the corner. But he's asking hard questions in the middle of their presentation. Just the other day, the guy said, "I need to see and touch the wounds of Jesus." <laughs> you like Thomas? It, that's where he he doesn't have that full assurance. He he has doubt. Uh, what was he saying? He was saying, I need a model. I need the real deal. Of course, those guys who were sharing Christ with them were and are the real deal. Are you? And don't miss the extent of their example. He says, that, he says in verse 7, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. That's the entire Grecian peninsula. Let me just ask you, dear friend, as we... Draw nor, uh, more to a close here this morning. Where has your testimony extended? Is there anything expansive about your life? The gospel's made a huge impact. You're sure of what you believe and others are being drawn to you? Now we said this. It, this is your lives for Jesus, shining for Jesus in a dark world. Are They're rare. They're, they're not easily reproduced. But when they are, they're beautiful. Is your life beautiful? I didn't say perfect, because none of us are perfect. I don't want you to miss this. Paul says all of this was happening in spite of their affliction. He said that a little bit earlier. He says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. He says that at the end of verse 6. This is worth thinking on, because this is really counterintuitive. The word affliction here is a Greek word, which means pressure. means uh, carries the idea of being in a narrow spot or a narrow place. He says, you Thessalonians were being persecuted for your faith and you received this truth and you have this full assurance of this truth in spite of the fact that you have pressure upon you and you have joy in the Holy Spirit. Look, if your joy is in Christ, no circumstance, can inhibit your impact in this world. In fact, just the opposite is true. When you are suffering or you're struggling, and, and, and we don't have time to list all the ways in which you might be suffering or struggling, but if you're suffering and if you're struggling, uh, as C.T. Studd said, the light that shines the farthest shines the brightest, nearest home. That's a true statement. We do live in a dark world, but no matter what you're enduring, God has a purpose. No no struggle that you're going through doesn't first go through the hands of God. You have to believe that. And God wants, He doesn't want you to go put yourself on a shelf. He wants to use you for His glory in this dark world. And there's no explaining the joy that Paul is talking about here any more than there's explaining the power. They're under great pressure, yet they have joy by, by way of the Holy Spirit. I know this both both joy and power can be yours in Jesus Christ. So again, I would ask you, are you saved? Are you really saved? 1 John says we can know. Do you possess that kind of, uh, of assurance? 1 uh, Thessalonians here says others can know if it's that evident in your life. If, if the power is evident, if the Spirit's deep conviction is evident and you're impacting other people, is, is your light so evident that it's, 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 it's bringing assurance of your salvation to other people? Because it sure did to Paul of the Thessalonians. And 2 Timothy says, God knows. You can know, others can know, but ultimately, God knows. 2 Timothy 2 19 says, the Lord's foundation is sure. It has this seal. I I call this the God housekeeping seal of approval. And here it is. The Lord knows those who are His. God knows my heart. He knows your heart. So what's going on in there? Is your salvation real? Has the power of God become evident in your life? the changes that accompany those who truly trust Jesus? Is there deep abiding Holy Spirit uh, assurance that what you believed in is true? And is that light that results in that so evident that others are being drawn to it? Because you're such an example? Ask yourself those questions. I realized that kind of Fowler is rare, not easily reproduced, But when God does a work in someone's life like this, it's a beautiful thing. How are you looking? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this great passage of Scripture, uh, for this, this great company of people in Thessalonica, for this great praise that they were given by the Apostle Paul. He was so confident, Lord. He knew that they were saved. He knew that you had chosen them. And God, I praise, I pray that you will raise up a mighty generation in these last days, albeit rare, not easily reproduced, but beautiful when you do a work in their lives. I pray that you would make that right here, starting at Sailorville Church, into the Engaged Network and splashing into the world. Help us to change the worlds that are around us, Lord, the world that's around us, because of your power within us as we exalt ourselves in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, for those individuals that are praying right now who would say, I'm not sure that I'm really saved. I don't have that evidence of God's power. I I am filled with doubt, and I've certainly not had an impact on people. If that's you, dear friend, maybe God is showing you today that you still need to be saved. Would you just open up your heart to Jesus who died for you and rose again? Would you just trust Him right now with all of your heart that He died for you and rose again for you and believe in Him? so that you might have eternal life. And for the rest of us, dear God, I pray that you would encourage us to let our light so shine before men that they would see our good works and glorify you, Heavenly Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.